You're listening to episode 144 of the FitzPro podcast, and today we are going in a little different direction. This is not for business. This is not for fitness. We are talking about world travels and general lessons that I have learned through 500 plus days traveling the world. So hope this is a fun one. Hope you gain something from it, even if it is a bit more philosophical than usual. Um, Without further ado, let's dive in. We are going to actually skip all sponsors and links today and just get to it because I have a feeling this is going to be a longer episode than usual. So I have had several conversations as of late where someone has brought up something that has reminded me of world travels or where I've said like, that is what I learned via world travels or that world travels made something clear to me that this person had mentioned in a conversation. So it made me think, why not hop on a podcast and discuss some of the lessons that I have learned through world travel, especially because most most people are not going to travel the world, let alone leave their home state or country. Um, I will start off by saying that there are going to be many, many generalizations in this episode and that it is one singular person's perspective from one singular person's experiences. I am not a guru. I am not an expert on culture. I am just a chick who has done a lot or been a lot of places, excuse me, and had some experiences. And so now I am sharing those and what I have learned from them. You are free to take from that what you wish or take none of it at all. That is up to you, but I hope it's an entertaining listen nonetheless. Number one, strangely enough, has to do with money, perceptions, and options. So when Nate and I took off for world travels back in 2018, we took off for a year of traveling abroad. Everyone assumed that we were rich, like everyone, people abroad, people here in the States, mostly people here in the States. I get that there are tons of questions. When you see someone traveling full-time, do they own a house? Did they sell everything? Do they still have cars? Um, All of these are very valid questions. And quite frankly, we had those questions as well. The answer is that if someone wants to travel the world, they just do what needs to be done in order to make that happen for their personal situation. That is what we found. Some people own a home and rent it out as an Airbnb. Some people sell literally everything and buy a plane ticket. Some people own a home and save up for several months because they have to keep their job back home and they take a year sabbatical to travel. Some people keep their jobs. Some people quit their jobs. Some people get jobs overseas. The moral of the story here is that you have options, probably more options than you think you do. And it just comes down to entertaining what it might take for you to do the thing and then deciding, is that worth it? Right? So maybe you do look at all the options and you're like, well, this is the only option that would work for me in my situation. And I'm quite frankly, not willing to do that. So for us, We looked at like, let's say worst case scenario, my business fails and I stop making money somehow, right? 
would we be willing to do a job elsewhere? You can work on farms, places, you can teach English places. Are we willing to do that? We were not. So we were like, we'd likely just buy a ticket home, right? We would say, okay, if we don't have money in the bank, we would go into debt to buy a ticket home. And that was our worst case scenario. That's another thing is like looking at your worst case scenario. Um, and apply this to anything beyond traveling the world. So I have mentioned this before, but I was making $2,500 to $4,000 a month when we left for world travels and I was the breadwinner. So Nate worked up until April. We left in May. Now, my goal was, of course, to increase that monthly revenue as we traveled, and I did. But we also booked some of our accommodations and flights and things of that sort for sev seven months excuse me, leading up to our travels. And that was what we had to do in our situation in order to feel secure in our decision to travel. We sold some stuff. A friend of ours moved into our duplex that we were renting. He took over rent for us, right? He just like replaced us as a tenant. And then we moved back in when we came home in 2019. We sold the car that we had, um, that we had payments on, kept the other one. So there is no one size fits all answer to that. You know, I just wanted to like pull back the curtain because the assumption is you have to be rich. And quite frankly, you don't. When it comes to money, perceptions, and options, it is cheaper to live in a lot of other countries than the United States. You can get jobs there and still be a resident in the US. I had no monthly payments. And the only debt we had was like my student loans, which is a super small payment, you know, and maybe you have your, your phone, like that's what you're paying for. If you don't have anything else in the States to pay for the amount of ways that exist are the ones that you expose yourself to, right? Those options are the only ones that exist until you expose yourself to more. And that is the lesson from number one. There are always more options to consider, almost always more options to consider. With that, like I said, sometimes those options aren't worth it. And you are absolutely free to make the decision to not pursue something because the sacrifice is too big for you, right? You have that autonomy at least. I mean, we made $2,500 to $4,000 a month and met people traveling on $5 a day, $5 to $20 a day. And that's extreme. Um, and would not be possible in, you know, countries like some countries in Europe, per se, we found Poland to be very cheap, we found some other countries to be very cheap, uh, surprisingly cheap. Um, and of course, you have to take in conversion rate uh, of, you know, USD and other countries, some countries change daily, some countries change monthly, some countries change yearly. There are other factors there. But fact of the matter is, you do not have to be rich. And I guess that's even subjective to travel the world or maybe travel as much as you would like to. So humans, number two, is that humans want to be understood and want to understand. I think that that is a pretty primal thing with humans. And that comes up because a question I get often about our world travels is in regard to language barriers. And if we were nervous about those, the answer is yes, we were somewhat nervous about them. But we had also traveled to Spain previously and Puerto Rico. Now, those are the only two places we'd ever traveled before uh, together, before taking off for our year of world travel. And between Google Translate and playing a bit of charades, it is clear that, like I said, most humans want to understand you and they want to be understood. So if there is mutual effort on both 
in both parties on both parts, typically it turns out fine. And we only had maybe one or two instances in like all of the 500 days that we have traveled abroad where someone was like outwardly offended that we spoke English and didn't speak their language. But that was not even close to being the norm. That was definitely an outlier. It's a humbling experience uh, not to be able to communicate with someone when you know what you want to say and they know what they want to say, but you can't say it in a way that they are going to understand. If you have not experienced that, it is something I hope you do get to experience at some point, uh, which is also why Google Translate is freaking amazing. And I love technology because it allows you to expedite that process, right? It allows you to communicate with people who you otherwise would not be able to communicate with. And I am not perfect at this by any means. And honestly, being in a different country where you don't speak the same language as someone makes this easier or like gives you an excuse not to, but seeking to understand people and being vulnerable enough to say that you want to be understood is a very human experience and something that I should definitely personally work on in my English speaking country in the relationships that I have. Uh, and that is why I say, you know, being in a country that you don't speak the same language, it does kind of give you an excuse to recluse, if you will. So getting a bit deep there, but here to share my experiences. Number three, a smile or a gesture goes a very long way, especially coming off of that language barrier, right? Body language becomes a very, very important thing. And for me personally, I felt like I almost became hyper aware of my body language and the body language of others. Very, I'm already what I would call like an observer. I sit back and observe things before I interact with things. So I am already that way. I gravitate towards that uh, behavior, but even more so observing body language became like a heightened skill that my body was depending on. And if I'm being honest, I probably smile way more when we were abroad than I do here in the States. Just as to say like, hi, I'm friendly. It's a way of communicating, right? It translates to everyday life though. And clearly that's something that I could be better at. I find I am way more easily annoyed with people in my own country and in day-to-day -day life than when I am traveling, when I'm abroad. I have more grace for people who maybe I don't understand. Um, and I, I, there's something I'm sure there to, to unpack. But again, this episode is not a sermon, uh, just a bunch of random lessons that I have taken away from traveling the world and apparently am still learning from. If you are feeling gracious this week or like you have some extra energy, Give a smirk, a smile to somebody or hold a door a little bit longer or let someone in when you're driving. Just generally be a good human um, because Lord knows that you're going to be a shit one in like a few days, right? From one moment to the other. I can be both in one day. Um, that is not beyond me. That is not beyond any of us. And maybe somebody will smile at you on that day and turn it around for you, or maybe not. But also there's a caveat here to the whole smiling and gestures lesson. Let this be our entrance into the differences in cultures, which is one of my favorite things about traveling. Uh, and the caveat to, you know, smile, wave, positive, uh, welcoming body language is that a stare, a gaze in one country is acceptable and normal, maybe even wanted, while it's very much so inappropriate and unwanted in another country. And that is a 
big generalization, um, but this is true if you are looking at cultures in a generalized manner. I was not fond of some of the longer gazes from my male counterparts in some countries that we went to, but it was normal upon doing more research in their country from my understanding and also often welcomed by female counterparts, or it just wasn't a big deal, right? It was expected. Um, a gaze is, you know, hey, I'm interested. And based on whatever the counterpart's reaction would be, uh, that would let that person know like, hmm, no thanks, or hi, come on over, right? So just these, these subtle differences uh, that can feel not so subtle if they're new to you. And on another note, uh, I honestly don't go out and out of my house a lot in the States. And I live somewhere that is only shorts weather. So nice sunny weather, right? Two to three months of the year for me, like wearing shorts out often. So my legs are not honestly exposed to the public eye. And I remember when we were in warmer countries for extended periods of time, I became aware that people were staring at my shins. And if you don't know, that is where I visibly have vitiligo which is a lack of pigmentation in the skin. If you follow Winnie Barlow, she's a famous supermodel that has it. Uh, and especially when I am tan, it becomes more prominent, right? There is no pigment. So it's just like stark white. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, and I've, I never even think about the fact that I have it. But it just brought to mind that, of course, people would, you know, look at that or stare at that a little bit longer because it's different. They're intrigued. They probably have questions. They wonder why it's there. They wonder if it's a scar or some kind of condition. And I welcome those questions because it only makes sense to wonder, to say, oh, that's different. Haven't seen that before. I don't think anyone is ever trying to like purposely be offensive. And if they are, well, they're just an asshole. And I guess I can, I can live with that. I can take that, right? It doesn't affect me. So that very much so leads into the next lesson and one of my favorite lessons, which is it's all made up. A gesture or a word in one language has a completely different meaning in another language. The expectations for you, your life, how you fit into society, it's all made up and it differs culture to culture. Like beauty is truly in the eye of the beholder. Different cultures have deemed different physical attributes beautiful or attractive. Pale skin in many Asian countries is praised. Uh, I even got a face lotion in uh, Southeast Asia and did not realize that it was a literal whitening lotion. I put it on and I was like, why is my face white? And that's, it, it is widely spread in different Asian cultures that pale skin is to be praised. And in Thailand, my masseuse, her name was uh, Pan, and she, I would lay out, right? I love bronzed skin. I want to be tan. And she would literally try to scrub my tan off because I would do a sugar scrub and then a massage uh, for like $10, which is um, praise. But she like openly tried to scrub it off. She legitimately pointed at my white vitiligo spots that I had on my shins. And she would say, beautiful, beautiful. And then pointed at my fresh tanned skin and was like, no, and would scrub it off. And I remember trying not to laugh just because, <laughs> just because cultural differences are so real like so real. Um, and it doesn't make them bad or good. And your perception of it being bad or good is only based on your cultural, uh, you know, society that you have grown up in. 
And that's why I say it's just, it's all made up. Um, then in Rio, you see, you know, half naked people everywhere soaking up the sun to get super dark. And they, by and large, you know, praise or at least enjoy bronzed skin. Thick bodies, big men, slender men, skinny women, tall, built women, ultra curvy women. Um, I would love to know the evolutionary history of why certain cultures value one physical attribute over another. Like even uh even mannerisms, like your your traits as a person, personality, how you carry yourself, like different cultures definitely have different expectations. And that's just super interesting to me. So also, if you do ever travel, just remember that you're viewing all of these differences through your lens. Um, and your lens isn't the lens of everyone else, or every other culture. And that even has carryover into the United States. So again, not an expert, sharing personal experiences. Um, my point is, it's all made up beyond physical features, norms, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. It's all made up culture to culture. Um, in one geographical location, X is acceptable by society or by law, but not in another ge geographical location. Like, why? So please obviously follow the law, but also don't let every made up societal norm dictate the way that you live your life. Um, next up, Food, kind people, road trips, mountains. While traveling, we would ask people what places they loved and why. And normally it revolved around the experiences that they had there or the people that they met in our personal travels. We started to get a pretty good idea of what was important to us. For instance, we had an idea that we were not beach people or that we preferred like mountains and a lot of popular tourist destinations don't really suit what we like. We gave them a go, not really a fan and that's okay. We largely dislike places that have a lacking food culture or people that feel cold or unwelcoming. Those two things can really change the entire vibe and experience of a city or a country, for us anyway. And we freaking love mountains or cities with water. If it has both, that's like, yes, please, love forever, I will live here. Uh, San Sebastian, Spain remains one of our favorite cities in the world. Yes, it is actually a beach in Spain, it has two beaches, but it also has amazing food culture super kind and welcoming people. And the beach is backed by mountains and wine country. It is very hard to beat that combination for us anyway, and what we like. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil was also much like that, uh, but not quite as refined, maybe not as safe, just, just a bit different. Um, but we do love Rio as well, if you're looking at beaches. Um, otherwise, you know, take me to Austria, take me to Patagonia, take me to the mountains. Another thing that we love which we knew well before travel, was road trips. There is a freedom of not having to catch a train or be at the airport. You can just throw everything in the back of a car. You can change your plans as you want. You can make pit stops. And you just get to see way more of a country when you do a road trip. We've now done you know, extended road trips through 14 different European countries, Japan, Patagonia. We had one planned through New Zealand, um, but the Rona ruined that for us. Next on the list, we have two separate three to five month European routes. Um, one going through Russia as well. So someday, someday. The last two uh, lessons have specifically due to with the United States. The first thing 
is that world travel taught both of us very much so that the United States is an infant as a country. We are so, so young and we do obviously have history, but we also have very little history in comparison to many of the other countries in the world. Um, I specifically remember three different conversations and I shall share those with you. One was with our guide in Colca Canyon, Peru. Um, his name was Juanito. And I looked at the farmers in the base of this canyon, still using hand plows and carrying massive bags um, of their stalks on their backs. And the men literally were like permanent hunchback from being in this position and doing this work. And so I asked, you know, and this was only our second location that we had traveled so far. Um, so I was young in world travels, I guess. I still feel young in world travels. And I asked, why don't they innovate or use machines, um, use more animals even? And he said, this is to preserve tradition. And it was very hard for my brain to comprehend that choice. Again, with seeing through like my Americanized, Westernized lens, right? That essentially, if they don't continue this generation by generation, then the tradition will die. And I still have some reservation about that choice, uh, but the fact is that their culture has been doing this for literally thousands and thousands of years, and I can't relate to that. I can't possibly relate to that or even comprehend the connection that those people may have had to that particular tradition, right? I have no say in that. The second conversation was in Croatia with the host of our Airbnb. We went out to a bar with him and his friend, and he talked about the history of Croatia, which often happened in many countries, and into the more recent history of Croatia and this other country. I believe it was Serbia. I was a few beers in, to be honest. Um, but he was dating a woman from this other country, and like I said, I believe it was Serbia and because of the history between these two countries, his family didn't want him to marry her. Again, with the deep history in other countries that we just don't necessarily have in the U.S. It just blew my little American mind that that would like be happening currently because there was a recent war. Um, and of course, that can be applied to some things in the U.S., uh, but just not to maybe the same magnitude as some of these other countries with thousands of years of history between them, right? The third conversation was with one of our favorite, favorite baristas in Poland. I adore her. Um, she told us about the history of Poland that they learn in school, and she could recite Polish history like I've never heard a general high school student rehearse before. It's not like she studied history. She didn't go to college for history or anything like that. It was literally just what she learned in school. She just knew it based off what she was taught. The latter two conversations in particular um, with our Croatian host and the Polish barista at some point led to the level of patriotism that people have for their countries. And of course, we have patriotism in the U.S., some areas more than other. I still think that living in the U.S. is a massive, massive blessing and luxury in many ways. But when you have thousands and thousands of years of history behind your country, and you are 100%, you know, Peruvian or Polish or Croatian to, to as much as you can track, I have to imagine that that hits a little bit different. Or it certainly felt like it would in the conversations that I had with some of these people. 
And again, I am seeing this through my lens, a mesh of, you know, German, Swedish, Northeastern European mutt with no real tie to my heritage. So to think of being one thing or as close to one cultural ethnicity as you can be opened my personal eyes. Right. So no wonder these people are so patriotic and feel so deeply for their country because it's so much more of a literal part of their identity. And again, that's a generalization. That is me making a generalization um, from three different conversations from three different people in three different countries. But I, I definitely that was one of my own personal realizations. So I thought it was an interesting lesson to share. Um, I'm also fully aware that, you know, you could be listening to this like, oh, my God, duh, Annie. But again, just sharing lessons and experiences. They're mine. Take them or leave them. There are many, many more. But the last thing, again, in regards to living in the U.S., living in and making USD, as in like having income from the U.S. dollar, as a business owner is definitely a luxury and a blessing. Um, I realize people all over this country have different experiences, but the freedom that we do have became abundantly clear while spending time in other countries, such as we were at an elephant sanctuary in Thailand, we had to turn off our cell phones because they were going to mention something about the government. And I was like, oh, wow, this is different. This is different. My personal take after spending over 500 days in other countries is that I am very grateful to live in America for a multitude of reasons. And traveling actually increased and specifically my awareness of these freedoms and gratitude toward the US even with her her multitude of issues as well. There are many more lessons from traveling the world. I wish we could just sit around a fire with some coffee and just tell world travel stories, but this shall do for now. Um, book yourself a freaking ticket, go on a trip, you know, get in your car, go rack up some new experiences somewhere with people you don't know. Um, it's a rando episode, but share it if you found value. As usual, I am Annie Miller. Thank you for listening to the Fitzboro Podcast. Mm-hmm.